0: Welcome once again to the Anesthesia Compass podcast. This is Mike Dobson. This week I'm delighted to welcome Professor Vojka Neskovic as our guest. She's Professor of Anesthesia and Intensive Care at the Military Hospital in Belgrade, Serbia. We'll be talking about what it's like to train as an anesthetist in Serbia and how things have changed in the last 30 years, as well as the impact of Mm COVID-19. Vojka, it gives me huge pleasure to welcome you to the Anesthesia Compass podcast today.
1: Hello, Mike. It's so nice to be here with you, and uh, I am really delighted to be a a guest at this Anesthesia Compass podcast.
0: Well, thank you. It's so nice to see you today. It's a a number of years since we uh, uh, we met face to face, but you're, look, you're looking very well, I'm pleased to say, because I'm going to ask you later on, but I know you've been very ill with uh, with COVID, so uh, it's good to see you looking well again. Now, your your home, Vojka, is in Serbia, and we do have people listening to this podcast from all over the world. Some of them may not know very much about your country, beyond its name, if they even know that. So, can you tell us a bit about your country first?
1: Well, um, Serbia is located on Balkans and uh, we belong to West Balkan countries. And um, I have to say Serbia was acknowledged for the first time in 13th century. And we have that glorious historic history that we are very proud of. But uh, nowadays, we are, our country is better known as uh, part of former Yugoslavia. So I always like to joke and say that I have never changed my home address, but I've changed four countries that I lived in. So because of uh, political, um, uh, unfortunately, also wars and and uh, very turbulent times, uh, it, Serbia has come up like a country, uh, after uh, Yugoslavia fell apart. So uh, basically we are um, now um, independent country, uh, only Serbia and uh, we are a former Yugoslavia country. So um, we are modern country, um, European country. We like to say that we feel as uh, uh, Europeans. Uh, But we still have a lot of uh, political problems and issues uh, that hopefully we will be able to uh, um, to, to, let's say, to focus on and find the right solutions. So still very turbulent time we live in, and uh, we are still in struggle for democracy and uh, a better political solution within the country. And hopefully, maybe we uh, we are hoping to. Become uh, members of European Union, uh, since you are fighting to go uh, UK for, uh, for the coming out of European Union. So that's a little different different perspectives of uh, what we want to achieve.
0: It it does seem they have a vacancy at the moment, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> the the big watershed in in the minds of people who live in my part of Europe um, is probably 1989, which was the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um and what were you a medical student then or had you already yes gone? yes
1: I was yeah. I was approaching to end of my yeah. medical family.
0: so was it was it difficult to get into medical school in in that era?
1: Well, um, to be a medical student was always a sort of prestigious uh, thing to do. so um, only um, the best. Uh, students, could uh, uh, pupils from high school on elementary school, with a long history of good marks, uh, were actually admitted to, uh, to uh, uh, medical school, and uh, I was studying in the medical school, University of Belgrade, which is also the most prestigious medical school in, in Serbia. And uh, also to get in, it was not enough to show that you have been, you had the wonderful marks, but you had also to pass the exam. Uh, so uh, the exam was uh, uh, about um, chemistry and biology and physics and also Latin. So uh, uh, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was uh, like showing uh, a high level of. Um, Academic law on, uh, knowledge, and um, at my time it was about five hundred students that could be admitted to uh, to medical school uh, at Belgrade University, and it was more than uh, one thousand five hundred that actually applied. So it's it was competitive, and it was uh, uh, achievement if you managed to be uh, to pass the exam and be admitted immediately and. Uh, i was in the first 100 of uh, on the list so i was very proud that i was uh, i was very good in spite of my latin which was not not very good at the time <laughs> so uh, it was uh, it was sh- quite a success I'm,
0: sh- I'm sure it's better than my latin uh, what stage did you decide uh, you were interested in anesthesia oh
1: that's a very Interesting question because nowadays I can see myself only as an aesthetist. I cannot even imagine myself in some other specialty. But uh, I became an aesthetist by accident, actually. Uh, I never planned to be that during medical school. I was thinking about cardiology and uh, uh, some other specialties. Uh, But then when I finished uh, my, uh, when I graduated at at medical school, at medical faculty, um, suddenly there was an option that I could uh, immediately get the job in anesthesia department and to start anesthesia training immediately. So I, um, I was thinking and I said, well, I don't know much about anesthesia because during university you actually have, see very little of anesthesia at my time. But I said, well, but it's very good that I can start working immediately. So that's how I ended up being anesthetist. And first year of uh, anesthesia training was very painful for me because I really had, uh, I needed time to adjust uh, to the job and to to see all these stressful uh, situations and to picture myself in being a a clinical doctor of different um, skills and knowledge that I expected myself to, to deal with, uh, in my life. So yeah, we may say it was, it was sort of accident.
0: <laughs> and when you started your training, did you have lots of supervision and lots of formal teaching, or were you just given a book and told to go and learn it?
1: Well, uh, you see, I was, um, well, um, I started my training uh, when the, uh, the war was actually happening in the former Yugoslavia. So I was uh, I started to uh, work at Clinical Center of Serbia, working at the emergency center of uh, Clinical Center of Serbia. So um, it was sort of uh, a very challenging time and we have uh, a lot of uh crisis and lot of wound um, uh lots of emergency medicine uh, patients that were admitting at the place where i started my training so um yeah we had a formal teaching like um, obligatory one year of lecturing uh, but uh, very quickly you sort of had to be uh, like in in the job so it was more like uh, see one, uh, do one and teach one uh, uh, methodology in training, than actually some uh, uh, formal teaching or probably uh, some modern training that you can see nowadays in particularly in some very advanced countries.
0: So, well, let, let me ask you about Serbia because I know you're, you you told me that your daughter uh, is currently a medical student and is looking at possibly being a, a, an anesthetist also. What, what sort of uh, training can she expect and how would it contrast with yours?
1: Well, uh, it very much depends nowadays uh, which uh, uh, medical school you actually are going to be allocated to when you start your training in anesthesia because it's organized not only from hospitals but it's actually organized in some uh, teaching hospitals. So if you work, let's say, in some hospitals out of Belgrade, some training you can do in your own hospital, but then you are going to be uh, sent to some teaching hospital uh, that you have to finish your training in. And it can be Belgrade or some other university cities in in Serbia. And uh, unfortunately uh, we are, Although medical school has been transformed more towards outcome-based education and harmonization with European teaching, but specialties are actually behind that a little bit. So um, it's still mentor, you get your mentor, but it's still apprentice training. It's still that you work and with some feedback and working with more senior people, you actually get your training in anesthesia. And our our specialty here in Serbia is called anesthesia resuscitation and intensive care. So uh, most of the time you are going to be just that junior doctor that is trying uh, to find your way out uh, in in this uh, complex job and we still have these uh, formal lecturing that you have to uh, uh, follow for one year and uh, all other times you are actually working and uh, improving yourself. And of course you get your literature, you have to learn and you have to uh, discuss with your mentor how well you are and how well you are um, progressing into, into specialty, uh, specialty level.
0: Towards and the how, and how, long, how long on average would it take for someone from the time they start anesthesia to the time that they're a recognized specialist?
1: It's four years. It's four years and it's time-based. It's not like competence-based. It's time-based. So it's four years sharp. And uh, by the law, uh, our um, junior doctors are not allowed to work without any supervision. So if they are working, there has to be somebody more senior to supervise them. So they're never alone and decisions, they never, which is, which is on one hand, a good thing, but on the other way, it's a a long way that you feel self-confident to be independent in decision-making. So I think we should probably make more balance into these roads to professionalism and, and well, uh, like a, speci- a specialist in anesthesia
0: and you're you're now a uh, professor of anesthesia and intensive care in the in a military in a military hospital in in belgrade um i know that at the moment you're still recovering from from covid and hoping to go back uh but let's go back to pre-covid can you take us through your average working week what, what sort of things were you doing
1: well i do <laughs> many things <laughs> yeah first of all most of the uh, most uh, of the time i'm every day in the uh, either on, in theater with my list of patients or i can be on call and uh, we don't have that on call that you stay at home, but actually you have to be in the hospital. So we actually have 24 hours duty. And when I'm on duty, most of the time I am actually working in the intensive care unit. That's how we cover these uh, uh, different fields of uh, different parts of of, uh, our department that has to be covered by uh, senior specialists. Uh, But also I am involved in um, uh, pre-graduating uh, graduated students, so I'm working with students from medical faculty. We have a uh, uh, um, course that is called anesthesia and intensive care, uh, which is uh, of uh, for one semester of duration. So uh, we are dealing with medical students as well, where they learn some basics of uh, anesthesia and intensive care, and also I am mentoring my junior doctors and. Uh, uh, most of the time, I have three or four of them, so it's quite a uh, quite a busy week actually. And I'm working uh, mostly in thoracic theatres nowadays. I used to work more ca- cardiac. Now I'm mostly in thoracic theatres, which I found more interesting nowadays than i uh, than I used to before. Before I was just so in love with cardiac, but now I'm in love with thoracic. So it's diff- it's changing scopes. <laughs>
0: Do you, do you have any particular research interests?
1: Uh, well, uh, yes. Uh, n- now we are having two projects uh, that are developing, but unfortunately due to COVID everything is stopped. So we cannot uh, do much of a research right now. And uh, uh, I have two projects that we have been developing and one is uh, correcting preoperative anemia. For orthopedic pageant, patients, and also um, I am working with uh, 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 delirium and postoperative complications with uh, uh, elective thoracic patients. But also, we are uh, uh, involved in PROTHOR study, international multicentric study, and uh, I am one of the uh, of uh, of uh, let's say researchers, and that's uh, mechanical venti- interoperative mechanical ventilation for thoracic patients. So uh, a lot of things to do, but now it's just struggling with COVID.
0: Yeah. So And let's, let me just ask about other struggles as well, because even in the UK, perhaps especially in the UK, we all complain about being under-resourced uh, and all kinds of problems. Are there any particular areas in your practice, um, infrastructure, equipment, management—that are particularly frustrating.
1: Well, it's a very frustrating thing to be an statistician in Serbia altogether. <laughs> but when we hear, for example, people from UK complaining about resources, we always have a feeling a little bit of being you being spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> because you know our perspectives are totally different. Yes, we are in shortage with with uh, some technology improvement and for example, particularly with ultrasound uh, machines that are very few still uh, that uh, can be uh, work where anesthetists can use them or, or intensive care specialists. But I always like to point out that the, the, the most important re- resource is actually people. And uh, you can, um, uh, with investments, with money, you can always eventually come with some more technology improvements or medications or whatever. Uh, but uh, it's very difficult to train and to have enough trained personnel. And we are in real shortage of people uh, With the juniors and seniors, doctor and particularly nurses and technicians, and now we have also a huge problem with the brain drainage because uh, uh, lots of our young uh, and promising doctors are leaving country and moving for good. So and uh, it uh, goes goes for both uh, doctors and nurses. And uh, I think that this is very frustrating that we as a country have to find a way to keep our uh, young and uh, capable people to stay and to work in Serbia. And I don't think that presently we have a solution for that. And it's not just about the money. It's about the whole uh, situation within the society, you can always just put it simple and say well they will go somewhere where there is a there incomes are higher but i think this is not the, the 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 whole truth it's about how you see yourself as a young professional in some society how acknowledged you are how uh, uh, how you can see your progression within the profession and i think that we still don't have the, as a country a right answer for that
0: um let me go back to the time that we first got to know each other, which I think was uh, 2006. Uh, there was a series of courses organised by the World Federation, uh, and their aim was to re-establish the links lost during the Cold War and help develop a new generation in terms of leadership and teaching techniques. Or, to put it another way, it was a bunch of Western-trained people coming over to sort you lot out. Uh, <laughs> in a, <laughs> what must have seemed like a very very arrogant way. Um, It sounded very ambitious and, and as you know the faculty came from a number of different countries as did the participants. We had people from Poland, Serbia, Bulgaria and Macedonia I think the first time and rather conveniently for the three of the faculty who came from the UK the only common language for the whole group was English so it was really rather easy for us. Looking back do you think it was uh, of any value having a bunch of foreigners turn up telling you how to do things? Uh, apart from the, the foreign faculty, did you learn very much, or did you make links with any of the other participating national groups that that have uh, 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 that were present? That's about six questions. Answer any that you feel like, or you can <laughs> well, remember. I like to
1: answer all of those. <laughs> yeah, because I think I never. I my my. Um, my perspective uh is totally different i never i never ever felt that this was uh, a bunch of uh, that it were a bunch of uh, western people coming to uh teach us something or to show us how we don't know anything uh, actually i uh, i saw that as an opportunity and i had a feeling that uh, our skills our competencies in 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 teaching uh, were not comparable, for example, uh, to people coming from UK. So I really saw that as as an opportunity for me to learn uh, more. And uh, I always loved English. I I think that uh, it's the most beautiful language in the world. And uh, uh, so it was also another another chance for me to practice and to improve uh, uh, myself, Uh, but... uh, I have to say that that those courses actually uh, changed my career uh, a bit uh, because uh, from that 2006 I dedicated myself more to education and um, not only within my hospital and medical school that I really uh, tried to make some change and to be uh, 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 let's say more efficient as a teacher, I also became involved in all these Teach the Teachers courses. And uh, nowadays I'm still uh, a member of faculty of the Teach the Teachers master class of the European Society of Anesthesia and Intensive Care. So now what what I've learned Uh, at uh, at 2006, I tried to improve and to develop more. And now I am uh, a member of faculty uh, teaching somebody else. And uh, also those people are now coming also from Western European countries. So uh, it's not just a small girl coming from from the Balkans teaching Western people uh, how to teach, it's just uh, to try and to make a better teaching everywhere in in the Europe. And uh, particularly, I see those uh, courses as uh, uh, very valuable in terms of networking uh, because I think that every participant that uh, 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 finished the course in Teach the Teachers from 2006 up to now, actually uh, it's a a huge um, uh, how to say group of people that were really connected and that see uh, training and our profession in a similar way. And now we communicate, we know each other, uh, we rely on each other and inspire each other, motivate each other. So I think it's uh, it's very valuable. And uh, And although that was a pioneering uh, um, let's say uh, idea at that time in 2006 and something completely new and maybe um, maybe not, um, uh, uh, not finished as a structure altogether, but I think that it was very, uh, very good uh, course. And uh, those were the seeds that actually made uh, some very good teachers in uh, anesthesia and trainers in anesthesia in Europe.
0: Well, it's very, it's very kind of you to say so. Uh, I think what you're saying is, is really echoing something that you'd said earlier, uh, that the key resource is people. It's, it's not kit, it's not drugs. Uh, it's, if you have good people, then it's amazing what could be achieved. And I know you, you've achieved a tremendous amount through your own teaching and uh, uh, professional leadership. Um, looking at now, I nearly crossed this question out because I thought, no, I can't possibly ask that because she's not old enough. However, you assured me that you can answer it. How your hospitals and anesthetic techniques have changed, either for better or for worse, over the last 30 years, or let's say since, since you started your training, which is
1: about the same period? It's exactly 30 years, actually, <laughs> <laughs> because I started my, my uh, well, Uh, training in anesthesia is 29 years, but I worked as a clinical doctor before one one year before. Uh, So, um, well, I may say uh, it really changed. uh, uh, It's changed a lot, but those gradual changes, somehow, somehow you, I have a feeling that uh, I've done the things always the same way, but then I start to remember and go back and reflect on my previous practice. And I may say that it's changed tremendously. Uh, first of all, it's an um, attitude uh, towards uh, the patients and, and, and uh, patient care. And then we have a more uh, technology nowadays that we use. Uh, and it's more about ERAS protocols and more enhanced recovery of the patients. And uh, uh, I would say that we nowadays are more open-minded. And uh, of course, the other thing is that now we, we are more aware, consciously aware of patient safety. And uh, it's a, a, a bit, a little, little perspective. Um, otherwise, I don't think that uh, those basic skills of anesthesia if we don't talk uh, about use of ultrasound, uh, but aside of that, I don't think that it's uh, changed that uh, tremendously in 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 basic skills. Uh, but those skills are put in a more modern perspective and more towards uh, patient care. So um, I would say that uh, yes, we improved uh, improved uh, uh, a lot. Um, Although uh, it, uh, it's um, just to mention, for example, with um, blood transfusion that we changed our attitudes completely. Also with fluid management, it's com- completely different. And then uh, mechan- mechanical ventilation, it uh, changed a lot to are different nowadays than they used to be. So it's, uh, it's a, a tremendous change, uh, but luckily we all develop, So uh, and we develop gradually and we improve. So uh, it's, uh, I think that it's uh, it's uh, natural that we grow up and that profession grows up with that, with us, together with us. Yeah, I would say so, so or at know, least I uh, hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just finishing on, on, on a personal note, um, I was very sorry to hear that you had been, been uh, ill with Covid, and in fact you were very ill on a ventilator with Covid. W- were you in your own intensive care unit?
1: Well, that was a lifetime experience because yeah. um, I was working for six months in the red zone in the Covid hospital of my military medical hospital. And uh, then uh, uh, at the end of the day, I ended up uh, being treated in the ICU at that same COVID COVID hospital. And uh, I was, yes, I was uh, the most difficult patient with with the respiratory failure with six days of mechanical ventilation and 18 days in the ICU. And that was happening in December. And, um, but I would like to say, and, um, Uh, That I strongly believe that I survived, uh, thanks to my uh, colleagues and doctors that uh, that took care of me, and majority of them were junior doctors that uh, I was, uh, in a way, uh, involved, and not just in a way. For some of them, those, them I was their mentor during their training. And uh, for others, I was uh, involved more or less in their training uh, du- during the, 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 well, their specialization training. And uh, I am very proud that I was treated with them and that I was treated, uh, successfully and uh, majority of them i i was teaching mechanical ventilation so i um, i just uh, have a feeling that uh, this is somehow uh, my highlight in life that uh, something that i always believed in and that is education and teaching and teamwork actually saved my life so um, yeah i i got emotional with that but um, Yeah, it was a lifetime experience. Yes. And just to mention all those people that were involved in teach the teachers courses all around the Europe, they all supported uh, me through networks and, uh, and uh, social networks. And uh, uh, so I have a feeling that this positive energy helped me to survive.
0: So, um, Just going a bit beyond your personal experience, what's what's been the impact of COVID on on your hospital? What's been the impact on on the nation generally? How do you think it's changed you?
1: Well, it's it's tremendous. It's tremendous uh, pressure. And particularly right now, because I think that we are totally uh, out of control and there is a lot of... uh, Unfortunately, medical question became a political question as well. So it's always a struggle between lockdowns and the uh, economy and uh, uh, restaurants and uh, people having and keeping their job. And uh, on the other hand, dying in the hospital. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, it's a, a, it's a tremendous pressure and um, it goes both ways that we have many patients now in the COVID patients that we treat in the hospitals. And uh, we have only in Serbia, we have only 1,000 anesthetists. So basically there is a lot of pressure on these 1,000 people to treat COVID patients and also to cover non-COVID patients which have to be somehow managed even in this crisis. So I think that uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, great challenge for both, for treating for COVID and non-COVID patients nowadays. So I think it's a tremendous pressure and uh, um, we, um, I I somehow, um, uh, then again, we also have to fight with the uh, anti-vaxxers and, uh, and uh, try to vaccinate majority of people. Although as, uh, as a country, we are rather good in that. We have four vaccines and uh, they're available for a majority of people. But then you have to convince people to get to be vaccinated and to understand actually what is going on uh, with this uh, um, uh, pandemic. So it's, uh, it's a very challenging time. Uh, but um, I hope that we will um, come out of it uh, more clever and uh, that we will uh, learn more about uh, public health problems and uh, and again, uh, about education, not only of doctors, but... Uh, uh, all the population itself also all citizens and everybody has to understand uh what is going on and they should be uh informed in in the right way
0: so it's been wonderful to talk to you today thank you very much for coming on the podcast and uh, we wish you well please give our greetings to uh, your colleagues and congratulate them on learning the lessons so well that uh, that you taught them
1: Yeah. Thank you, Mike. I was, uh, I'm also very happy to see you after uh, some time. And I wish everybody uh, um, all the best and just uh, everybody be careful and uh, uh, just uh, stay safe.
0: One of the things I try to do on the Anesthesia Campus podcast is to let you know about upcoming events. You may know that the Developing World Anesthesia course organised by the Royal College of Anesthetists has continued in online format during the lockdown period. The good news is that it's going to resume as a real course that you can attend on October the 27th this year. and This will be the first time that it will be held in Manchester. For details nearer the time, look on the Royal College of Anaesthetists website. We are also hoping that the one-week Oxford course, Anaesthesia for Developing Countries, will also be able to resume this year. You can register now to receive details as soon as they're available. Send an email to events at ndcn.ox.ac.uk they'll put you on the mailing list. That's all for now. From me, it's goodbye. Goodbye.